Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Billy Mumby. Billy is a senior software developer working at Next PLC in the Warehouse and Distribution Systems team. Welcome, Billy. Hi. So, uh, Billy, before we jump into the meat of things, uh, would you give our listeners a little bit more of an introduction to yourself? Uh, perhaps, you know, tell them how you got started in the industry. Yeah, sure. So I've been a .NET developer for about five years now. Since I left what we call college in England, um, I went on to a degree apprenticeship scheme. So I did sort of learn while you work. So I did a couple of, couple of days a week, day release at college or university to study towards my bachelor's degree while also working at an aerospace company. So I did that for two years. And then the third year was full-time at university. After I come out of that, I went continued to work at the aerospace industry, mainly working on sort of WPF applications. Um, and then I moved to Next as I wanted to sort of advance into the cloud. And ever since then, we've been pushing on and doing the cloud migration. Oh, very cool. So, what what is um, you don't have to give us uh, uh, details, but like, what's the sort of like framework and uh, tech stack that you're working on, and what what are kind of like the problems that you have to face on a day to day? Yeah, so we're currently looking towards modernizing some sort of very old legacy systems. So we're looking to move into, we're using ASP.NET Core, .NET 6. We're using all the latest and greatest, really. We're looking service bus, Cosmos, um, API management. We're trying to get as much of the good stuff as we can. <laughs> um, awesome. But yeah, the main challenge is at the minute are trying to modernize whilst trying to meet deadlines at the same time. <laughs> it's always fun. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Azure Cosmos DB, and and uh, we're pretty heavily in, into that space these days as well for a lot of the projects that we're working on. Um, and, and that's kind of how I came across your name as well. It sounds like you've been contributing to some open source packages as well. Is that right? Yeah, so when I started my new job, they were using sort of their own wrapper around Cosmos itself. And they were sort of struggling to maintain it. There was a few bits that maybe weren't so consistent. And you got to be very careful with like the Cosmos client, for example. That can become quite a big of a resource hog. Um, so we spotted David's package. And then there was a few bits that we wanted to add to that. So I had to go written a few pull requests. First pull request, actually, was quite a funny story on that one. I just sort of blazed straight in. I'd not really contributed to open source before. And just raised the pull request. David sort of rebuffed it quite quickly and was like, you can't just go making breaking changes. And that was sort of like the first introduction to it I'd had, which I always thought was quite interesting. Um, but since then, the library's come on and on and on and been contributing to it quite a lot. So I've tried to add some of the more complex features that Cosmos offers. But I mean, yeah, we use it across, it must be seven or eight different apps now and some of the other teams and my company are also looking to use it. So yeah, it's, it's come, on, come on leaps and bounds, really. It's been good. Yeah, and th- this is uh, David Pine's Azure Cosmos repository package is is that right yeah it's a it's a very in its simplest form it's a very simple crud wrapper on top of the cosmos client you get an iRepository and you've got create update delete query methods all that sort of thing and then we've kind of advanced on that to support batching so you can save as batches it's got e-tag support 
And um, what else have we got on there now? We can do something called the specification pattern that we've implemented as well. So you can pass it a specification defined as a class and that'll do some extensive querying and allow you to do order buys and things like that. Why use something like the Cosmos repository instead of just going straight to the SDK? There's a lot of sort of optimizations that you can make around sort of caching the container instance, caching the database, caching the client itself. We actually had to implement a health check and one of the developers had sort of missed the point of the Cosmos client and it was getting disposed of quite frequently and that could quickly become a resource hog and we saw that sort of roof out CPU and memory. It's just the little things and it's very, very easy to get going with the Cosmos package itself. It's just services.addCosmos repository and off you go more or less. And in a development environment, it'll create containers and databases for you as well. Um, if you use an infrastructure as code scenario, you can also turn that off. So from our point of view, it's just really easy to get up and going. Just to find a simple class, derive it from a base type and off you go. So uh, in the past, connecting to like uh, SQL databases and stuff, I've used uh, an iRepository to wrap around Entity Framework, uh, uh, any EF to SQL, uh, that is, um, for a lot of the same reasons that you've just uh, mentioned for uh, the repository uh, that you're using in this case is: Are you using like a generic I repository, or is the is the repository that you're making very very attuned to um, Cosmos from from the get go? Like, could you could you take the general uh, repository that you have and kind of point it at um, something else? I mean, obviously, you'd have to redo the implementation, but the you know is your is your pattern still usable uh, from another data source? Uh, I imagine it could be. The interface is public, so you could implement your own version. What I tend to do, we tend to follow a clean architecture in our projects. We'll have an application layer that defines an interface. So our working warehouse and so parcels a great example. We have a parcel repository that we define our interface on to read and save a parcel. And then the implementation of that in the infrastructure layer would call on the Cosmos repository wrapper itself. So we'll probably put another layer of abstraction on top of that just to keep it sort of domain-specific and then you don't have to reference the Cosmos packages in your application layer or anything like that. So that's the way we tend to use it, and we always wrap it up. In some cases, for simple apps, it doesn't make sense to and you use it rough and ready as it, is, as it comes. For simple reads and updates, it doesn't quite make sense in some cases. But that's the way I tend to advise it being used. And then, if, like you say, if you wanted to swap the data layer out, it's a quick, different implementation of that domain-specific repository, not not necessarily the one specific to cosmos because there's quite a few overloads that are quite specific to cosmos so you can choose to ignore your tag updates for concurrency issues and things like that and there's the batch support there's quite a few specific methods in there okay so there there are a few leaks in the in the abstraction but in general it, it in theory it could be used if somebody was trying to um i don't know kind of kind of get set up uh with the i repository against their sql and then move to cosmos they could they could figure out a way to do that pretty easy. Yeah, I think that'd definitely be doable. Some of the basic methods would still still fit. Yeah, one of the other things that we've started adding recently that we've have, we've really benefited from as a team at my workplace is um, we added in memory support. So I run the database in memory for you, and because it, their operations are generally quite simple, some of the batches and stuff kind of fall out of that in some cases. But we'll use the MVC testing package to run the API in memory, and we'll just swap out the provider from real cosmos to in-memory cosmos and we can run those tests so we can run a suite of integration tests in like less than a few seconds 
So that's also really beneficial that we found. And I assume that's similar to running like the in-memory database for EF? Yeah, very, very similar. It's the same exact same concept. Um, I know a lot of people are quite against that and say, oh, no, you should never do it. We've, we, we've got the ability to swap it from using Rail Cosmos to the in-memory one. And often we just find it takes longer using Rail Cosmos. That's the only real difference we've found because a lot of the operations yeah. are usually quite simple. You can't really go wrong with it. There's obviously trade-offs against that. Yeah, at least for testing the... Um the EFN memory database is um, it's not a one-to-one against, you know, like a real SQL database. So it, it does have some things that it doesn't do, which is kind of annoying. Are there, are there things like that for Cosmos or, or is it kind of a one-to-one feature match? It is. It, so in some cases, like the batch updates, for example, if you got one concurrency error, the batches don't quite fire the same. There's a few bits around there. There's a pull request currently open at the minute as well to try and address that and refactor the in-memory support so it is a bit more realistic. But there's um, a continuation token paging as well. That's kind of really hard to mirror exactly if a record gets removed well mid-query before you go back with a continuation token again. So it's definitely not entirely replicable. And if you wanted to use a change feed, for example, in your application, can't really rely on the in-memory support for that. We, We go for the actual implementation and stand up an instance of Cosmos either in a container or just in the cloud. Okay. So um, what would be some of the benefits of using um, this over using just like entity framework core? I, I can, I can imagine a few, but uh, what, what, um, why, why would someone want, want to do that? So first of all, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong in the EF core support for Cosmos is getting better and better as it comes along. The only thing is it kind of leaves developers who've used EF core before they're used to the transactional model and the joins and etc and you, you don't really get that in cosmos it's just quite document orientated so we tend to find that this sort of is a simpler thing to understand that you, you're not in that transactional boundary anymore if you want to, you can do transactions in cosmos but you have to put a lot more effort into the way you design your database to support it so i think from that side of things it can have a few benefits there but like I said, the EF call support's getting better and better. And I know they are supporting stuff like transactions in some cases. And they're also getting a lot better e-tag support as well that's been recently introduced. Uh, I was just going to say, I think one of the other things is as well, it's EF call. So when you take a dependency on that, a lot of people do. And it's quite a large package. This is obviously a lot smaller on in terms of a footprint. It's quite a thin wrapper. So you're not too far away from the real implementation. Speaking of, you mentioned limitations having to design the date the database like if you're trying to use transactions in ef core or something like that are there design considerations from the cosmos side if you're trying to use this uh uh, this repository in the way that you would set up the data and structure um the database the cosmos database if you're using the repository yeah so if you want to use the batch methods you can only do creates and updates as part of a transaction if they're all in the same partition key range so uh, again warehousing <laughs> simple examples of parcel you might have multiple items we usually tend to partition that by parcel barcode for example so we could save eight items in a parcel as a batch and if any one of those failed that batch would fail because the partition key is the same for all items but then it can get complex if you say have a location as well in that so you want to save the parcel and three other items might be in a location, but that partition key is different. That's when the complexity can start to hit. But that's where you can use things like the change feed or queues to sort of spread that transaction out and get a bit more resiliency in place. 
but it, it can be difficult. One of the other things we've used Cosmos for, which is really beneficial as well, is the transaction outbox pattern obviously is quite popular. So what you can do is you can write a event in effect to Cosmos DB. You get the event off the back of the change feed and then you could then write that to your service bus or event hubs or anything like that. But you can commit that event to the change feed in the same partition if you wish. So an event for a parcel, for example, could be added in that partition key range when you save the updates to the items and that would happen in a transaction. And then in some point in the future, the change feed will trigger and your event will get published. So that's quite a nice pattern as well. Okay, so change feed has come up uh, several times, just in the last sentence even. Um, for anyone who's who's unfamiliar with that, what is a change feed? The change feed is probably one of the most, I'd say, less known features of Cosmos, but one of the most powerful as well. So the change feed is a log of every single change to a document in the database, and you can process that and up to near real time. Or you can process it a bit slower, and you can, so let's say you write 50 changes to a document, you can process each one of those changes individually in order as well. So it's all ordered. It comes in sequenced. And for scenarios where you want to build up a projection, for example, an event sourcing, a few people might have heard of that where you can reset where you project from. So say you had events for a parcel, for example, that have built up over time. And then somebody comes along with a new requirement and says, oh, I want to build a report over the last 30 days. You can move the marker in the change feed to say start at 30 days and then process all that log back through time again. But then you might have some other projections or reports that are built up from near real time that are already caught up to the change feed. So it's a really, really powerful feature of Cosmos, I think. You can certainly use it for a lot of edge cases or things that you maybe wouldn't have thought of in a SQL database, for example. What are the other features in the repository package that... We that .NET developers might utilize in their applications, or, or you know, what what are the problems that other than generic CRUD operations for line of business type applications? What 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 other functionality does this package provide? So we have again, and I mentioned the change feed a few times. The change feed process library itself is quite involved to get set up and to do it right and to use the correct scaling as well. It can be quite a challenge. So we've made a lot of effort into wrap that up. It's very, very simple. I don't know if anyone's used sort of like mass transit. You just have an iConsumer. It's very, very similar. You just set up an iConsumer for your change feed. Your documents come down. You can process them. Um, We've got managed identity support that somebody contributed not a while back. So that's a really useful feature. You're just passing the token credential credential and the account endpoint. And that'll authenticate just as you would expect. You can also just use the connection string. I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to rattle a few more off. <laughs> um, yeah, I see some uh, additional samples in the the samples folder. Uh, sample applications. There's some around event sourcing as well. Yeah, that's been a recent addition that I've been working on. So I'm in the background when I get time. So obviously, Doc Cosmos DB is in a SQL store, so you can just write a series of events. So again, going back to a parcel, it might have had an item added to it, another item added to it. It might have been staged and it might be packed. You can track all those events. And then I know I mentioned earlier projections. So every event that you write into that data store can then be listened to off the change feed as a projection and either published onto a topic to for cross-boundary communication or just used to write up a different sort of view of your data. Because that's quite a popular popular pattern in Cosmos. So the samples include quite a few examples of that. 
Um, there's an example of how to get going with the change feed, some of the basic CRUD support. I think there's an example of a basic worker app in there as well. There's there's all sorts of stuff. We've got quite an extensive set of samples, to be fair. It's one thing that we've, every time we implement a new feature, we usually have a sample of nothing else to test it out usually helps. We've also recently published a package with the ASP.NET Core extensions to support the change feed. So the change feed comes as a service that you could start up yourself in a console app, for example. But a lot of people would like to use it as a background service already running in their app. So we've just got a simple wrapper that supports adding that background service in as well, and that'll, that'll just run away in the background of your app. Just trying to think of some of the other examples we've got. There's some examples on how to use the in-memory stuff um, and some integration tests using MVC testing. There's some around optimistic concurrency control using e-tags. That can be quite a difficult concept to sort of get your head around when you first start sort of start working with um, Cosmos. And one of the other big ones that we put in recently was the paging support. So the paging support using the continuation tokens, again, is quite difficult if you've not really come from that sort of way of programming before with SQL, you might choose a limit and an offset. But that in Cosmos can quite quickly on a large set of data ramp up a really big bill. Your IU charge is kind of like exponential. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes through the pages. So the continuations tokens sort of work as like a marker in time. So you can make a query, you get a token back, you've read 25 items. It would then know where you've started off based on that stateless token that you've been given. You can just cycle through, but your IU charge is consistent then based on the query that you're running. So we've got some some nice abstractions on top of that that really help help getting involved and get using that a lot easier. One of the things we've been making a lot of advancements on as well is just sort of improved logging. So a lot of people when they get started with Cosmos, the concept of the IU charges can be sort of quite daunting. Everybody thinks, oh, it's going to cost a fortune. And I just charge loads of IUs. I get charged for every query that I make and people get really sort of focused on making the queries as optimal as possible, which is great. But if you're using the SDK, you'd want to see what your queries cost. So in debug mode for our logging in the, in the library, it'll log out every IU charge for every query. So you can sum those up and sort of get a feel for what your queries are costing all the different paths through your app. And then you can tack on somebody else's name on the end of that one, and then you can blame them for all the charges <laughs> yeah, that you're you cost incurring. all this money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 one of those. I think the IU charges. A lot of people sort of get quite hung up about them, but then once you actually start using it, and you're like, you've got to be at some pretty serious scale, scale to start costing a lot of money. Obviously, if you're making cross partition queries and things like that, you can quite easily quite easily do that on the hot path of your application but most of the time it's, it's relatively simple yeah and looking at the uh the github repo here it looks like there's 180 stars 54 forks um there are currently two open pull requests uh 20 open issues and looks like 29 releases on release number uh 3.5.4 so it sounds like there's a good community involvement uh, it sounds like there's uh, a lot of people that are interested in this and, and filling out issues, filling out uh, pull requests, um, submitting contributions and, and things like that. Yeah, it's really great to see, to be fair. We get a lot of sort of ideas coming in. One of the recent ones was multi-tenancy. So currently we just support one connection string and one database connection. But a lot of people go, I'm building a SaaS app and I've got a requirement to either split my data into different containers or even more granular than that, different databases altogether. So that's something we're looking at. And 
some cases the library could support it, but then in other cases the infrastructure around that could also support it. So that, that's been kind of like a, a trade-off that we haven't quite figured out yet, I suppose, and how we would like to support that if we do at all. It's always the difficulty with these sort of projects. Um, but that's been some really great news. There's a lot of IS innumerable in there as well. Some of the continuation mm-hmm. token page, and if you did want to page through 500 items, for example, you could use IS innumerable to do that quite nicely. And one of the big ones that's coming up at the minute is support for system text.json. So the actual Cosmos library itself under the hood, this library is still using Newton soft JSON. There has been some rumors that they're going to come out with support for system text, which will have quite a big impact on us actually. It's going to be an interesting transition because especially some of the event sourcing stuff is using some of the features of Newton soft quite heavily. Yeah, we are recording this during the week of microsoft build do you think there will be any announcements around that this week it'll certainly be interesting to see and um, we've noticed there's a few branches going on the v3 sdk of rumors of a v4 but i think they've come and gone so we, we're mm-hmm. still not entirely sure but when that does come out it'll certainly be a major version bump from our point of view i think like it will for them <laughs> yeah. obviously there'll be performance benefits to gain on the, the new mm-hmm. json serializers but it's going to be interesting, I think, especially for people who've sort of bedded in with this already. Um, one of the other main focuses we've been looking at as well is documentation. So we've got two documentation sites currently running. There's one for the Cosmos repository itself and one for the event sourcing stuff. And the event sourcing one tries to start from like the very basics of building an event sourcing app because obviously the concepts are quite different and that sort of got a guide that takes you through step one, two, three, four. And by the end of it, you've built an app using the change feed and event sourcing in the Cosmos library. Um, that package is currently still in pre-release, something that we've been trying out in a few production systems just to get a bit of confidence in it. And then once, we've, once we're happy, we're going to publish that as a full release. So you mentioned the the desire or the, the want to explore multi-tenancy. And, and some of the challenges are, that are inherent with that. What what are the challenges around trying to implement uh, multi-tenancy for this particular repository or, or for this particular package? So it's obviously the Cosmos client is scoped to a specific account mm. in Cosmos, and then there's a specific database under that. So everyone has different multi-tenancy requirements. Do you need a separate account altogether that's running on the same mm. back end? Would you want then a different, just the same account but different databases? And how do you manage permissions between those? It, it can get quite complex. I mean, we've sort of scoped out a few areas where we could sort of add that in quite simply to just support different databases, for example. But we'd have to have a way to say, okay, I'm using our repository for this type, but what what tenant am I using it for? So we could add like a tenant key in there that mm. might work. Um, yeah. I know it's something. I think that's currently come out in Cosmos is the usually you'd build a synthetic partition partition key, but you can have the two now that combine into one, so that's supporting multi-tenancy within the same container. And obviously, not everybody always has those requirements. Sometimes it needs to be separate for good reason. Um, so that's certainly one of the challenges that we're facing. It's also whether we actually want to support that as well because it's it's quite a big change to what we've currently got. But we're we'll, we'll definitely exploring it. So um, with that in mind, um, what, what are some of the limitations that uh, someone might run into 
uh, or other limitations that they might run into if they're trying to use um, the repository for you know in in the application. Would you would you think limitations? I think sometimes we everybody likes to use the link providers. It's usually quite popular. Some of the query support for that isn't always fully there, so there is the option to use just sort of raw SQL on top of that. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of whether we've run into anything. Most of the things we've run into, I've gone off and run a pull request <laughs> <laughs> to try and add support pretty quickly. Best to David, quick, I need this <laughs> for next week. <laughs> um, it's nothing that really springs to mind i mean usually when people find something or have questions they usually raise an issue and we'll look, look to either find a resolution or say oh this is supported it's maybe just not quite obvious um but i mean one thing we've been focusing on quite a lot is a good set of tests so when we, before we do do a release we're, we're fairly confident so we have unit tests across the full project and then we've got some acceptance tests and they run across the three different packages that we publish and now we'll run up against a real instance of cosmos db and sort of run through some of the main hit points just to say we've definitely not added any sort of major issues into this release it's just feature additions and that was kind of provided to, to us by the cosmos team as well so we've got a nice test account that we can use and run in our pipelines so that's really useful we have them set up as github actions and they always run prior to a release nice what about any performance concerns do you run any benchmark testing against anything that you're working on or have you run across anything where you've uh where where you i, I say you as the, the collective working on this particular project uh might might have introduced some some bottleneck or 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 some throughput issue or something like that is is there any mechanism that would help uh, identify or isolate something like that that's not a problem we've come across at the minute i imagine if somebody was to use this app very very high scale that that might be something that they did come up against i mean mm. we've, we've done our best to use concurrent dictionaries for example and do all mm. the good stuff around that to make sure that those issues are less likely to happen and um, benchmarks are something me and david have spoke about trying to implement and have a look at which i haven't quite found the time yet there's a few benchmarks we've sort of done of when making decisions on the event sourcing library for example needed polymorphic deserialization and the best way to do that, so we had a couple of benchmarks on that of whether J objects was better than trying to deserialize it using some of the built-in stuff in Soft. So that aided one of the decisions, but we've we've not got anything built in the library at the moment, and it's not something we've come across to be honest. But it would certainly be interesting when they do come up to sort of have a dig in and have a look at those issues. So what else? Have we, have we missed anything? Are there certain features that you're excited about or certain issues that you want people to, to follow and, and weigh in on potential implementations or anything of that sort? Yeah, I mean, the from my point of view, the event source and stuff's quite exciting. and It's certainly something we, we're using in, at my work and we're finding it quite useful at the moment. It's just a lot easier to see rather than just one document that changes mm. and you lose that state of what's changed. You can see or what caused that changed? What caused that change to that entity or record or concept in your data? Um, we've got a lot of issues on there with just sort of my brain dump of ideas that I thought that'd be good, that'd be good. Not quite had the time at the minute. It's been probably a bit more strapped than I was when I originally started looking at this. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're just hoping for people to go out and give it a try and come up with any extra ideas and please raise pull requests. We're more than happy to 
to add the extra contributions. Yeah, so 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 breaking changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't do what I did the first time. Around. <laughs> it was a good learning curve into open source that one. <laughs> so speaking of uh, resources, uh, what what um, resources would you point people to who are trying to get started and use it? Uh, maybe in their own projects, um, and then how about where can we point people to who want to you know get involved and uh, help contribute or um, whatnot? Yep. So the readme is a great place to start. That's got sort of links off. We've got a Discord channel. Me and David are both quite active on Twitter. So if you mm-hmm. want to give us a drop us a tweet, ask any questions, feel free. Um, we've also got the two documentation sites that we're trying to fill out as much as possible. Again, time permitting, we probably like to have a bit more on there if we could i'm sure everybody would say that about documentation um but it's something we're working towards so the readme we've tried to trim down a lot recently just to keep it nice and concise and then the docs sort of enhance on top of that um david did a video on it of uh, azure cosmos DBCon for a few years ago and added one recently on the dotnet doc show so that sort of walks through some different examples and, and how you'd use it in a real application and all the source code for that's linked um, the samples are full of loads of good stuff. I think there must be 10 or 15 samples in there now. Any of them can just be ran locally quite easily. Hmm. So they're definitely a good place to go. And we do follow the all contributors as well, so you can see down at the bottom of the readme, everyone who's contributed over, over the time, which is quite nice. Uh, what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? I think the biggest thing for me is just don't be scared and get stuck in. And another one that I've definitely found recently is don't just skim through documentation, read it from start to end because everybody <laughs> always wants to get straight into the gold. And yeah, that's that's the problem. But there's a lot of good stuff in there that you can read and sort of enhance and think, oh, I didn't really realize that or I didn't know about that. The main thing for me is just get involved and don't be shy everyone's usually really friendly and a lot of people are quite daunted by going off to into open source. Obviously sometimes you might get rebuffed like I did the first time around, <laughs> but after that people are certainly really helpful and just, just love the fact that you're willing to contribute. So just give it a go and don't be, don't be afraid. Um, so you mentioned uh, Twitter, but uh, where can our listeners go to follow uh, you and keep up with what you're working on? Yeah, I think Twitter's probably the main one. It's at BillyDev5. I'll make sure I ping that across after this. Um, but yeah, feel free to drop me a tweet. Or I'm sure David's David's much the same. Any questions, just ping us and we'll, we'll try and do our best to answer them. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Billy, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us tonight. I know it's it's late over there on that side of the pond, yeah. so we, uh, <laughs> we we thank you and your family. Appreciate it. Um, we will absolutely be in touch and follow along with you and your projects and your contributions to open source. Um, with that, thanks so much. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for having me. That was Billy Mumby. Billy is a senior developer working at Next PLC in the warehouse and distribution systems team. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Six Figure Dev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 